Hey guys, welcome to the 57th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. We're two working directors in Los Angeles discussing the ups and downs of our careers with new and veteran directors. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we have Eric Kissack back to answer some listener questions. We actually got a bunch of listener questions this week that we thought would be applicable to most of our other listeners. They're mainly about, you know, kind of decision making when you're at a fork in your career and you're trying to decide whether you should take the money job or the passion job. If you listen to last week's episode, Eric kind of just went through all of those sorts of decisions and had a ton of great insights. So we thought, hey, why don't you hang out and we'll go through this stockpile of awesome questions. So he's weighing in. And if you didn't listen to last week, Eric Kisak is a director. He's done a feature, a bunch of commercials. He did a short film that exploded on Vimeo. And he's also an editor of many awesome movies like The Dictator, Bruno, Cedar Rapids, Role Models, Daddy's Home. Currently, he's editing on Veep. And right before that, he was doing The Good Place. So he's bona fide, you guys. Yeah. But first, before we get into Eric's advice on all these awesome listener questions, Oren, what have you been working on lately? Well, I've been uh, I've been working on some of my own projects and scripts. I've been meeting up with a lot of people that I feel are like-minded with me that I that we like the same things just to kind of brainstorm some new projects to pitch. But I actually want to use my catch up segment to talk about our podcast for a second and the type of guests that I feel like I want to have on our podcast. We get a lot of emails about people that are indie filmmakers that are, you know, kickstarting their first feature that have that are really experts at DIY filmmaking, knowing how to make really low budget films and kind of I, I for me, I'm actively trying to not make our podcast be about how to make really mm-hmm. cheap, low-budget films, and rather to be about how to make a career as a director. And so I, I want kind of one of the qualifiers of most of the directors that we have on the podcast are directors that make their living from directing. To me, there's there's something kind of motivational or inspirational about knowing that you don't have to be making these giant studio films to make a living as a director. One of the questions that we're going to talk about is from our listener, Luke Sheldon, and he actually wrote something really nice in his email to us where he said, I come from a small village in England where director isn't a job that exists, so I'm grateful to even be in the industry. And now after listening to all of your podcasts, I feel like I've been given insights that would otherwise be unavailable to someone who didn't even realize that film school was a thing until a few years ago. So, you know, I'd love to listen to hear from our listeners if the guests that we're having on are the type of guests that that they like. There's this, I don't know if it's a famous quote, but there's this quote that I've heard a couple times about people in the film industry, which is, there is a ton of first-time directors, but there are not really a lot of second-time directors. <laughs> and I'm kind of trying to weed out those first-time directors because until you've, you know, kind of trudged through the trenches, it's hard to to know if you're gonna if you're in it for the long haul or not. And or I even wa- if you like it, right? Yeah. And I want to have directors on here that are in it for the long haul because I think this podcast is about talking to people that are making a career, not making a movie. Yeah. Um, I think there's also uh, just a ton of really wonderful resources out there for people who are getting their start in that way. You know, like between Film Riot and Indie Mogul and Gnome Film School. I, I feel like that that kind of hole has really been wonderfully, you know, filled and like kind of how we both got our starts. Right. Or like Freddie W videos and like rocket jump has their own film school now as well. Like people are doing awesome work in that realm. So I think like 
our idea was that we would inspire people and relate to people in a, in a different and hopefully unique way. Right. And also say like, Hey, you can make a living directing web commercials or branded series or, you know, whatever, obviously TV and movies and everything, but just that I think there's this misconception that you either have to make it big or you don't make it at all in Hollywood. And I think to me, the podcast is about that middle area that you don't have to be, you know, super famous. You don't have to be Steven Spielberg to be a successful director. And so, you know, hopefully you guys agree, but I, I would really love to hear from our listeners. If you can just write us, a, drop us a line and say, Hey, I like the guests. Hey, it would be nice if we got more DPs. Hey, if it would be nice if we had more DIY filmmaking stuff, just kind of what you guys are looking for from this podcast. Cause I'm, I think we're really enjoying making it and we, we've learned a lot and probably even changed our own directing techniques based on our guests. Oh yeah. 100%. I, and I would say also, you know, it's been really awesome to see, I think we kind of have found like a nice niche in terms of our audience. And like, I'm seeing a lot more people tweeting to us and like, obviously like writing in these questions and things that's been really wonderful. So like, it's cool to see this sort of community forming of people who are, you know, in the same boat because that's really what this is project is all about is just kind of like, you know, connecting people who understand each other. Right. And saying, Hey, it's okay to dream. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately we're really excited about you guys. And this episode is kind of dedicated to you and your questions and the things you're interested in. So let's go into it. Let's hop into it. Thanks guys. Okay, cool. So yeah. We invited Eric Kissack back to answer some listener questions with us because he has such good insight on everything directing related. That is way so too kind. Thanks for thanks for being here, Eric. Of course. And thanks for all the questions, guys. I feel like this this is the most questions we've had in a long time. Yeah, we had an influx. We had many, many questions. We chose five of them to discuss on the podcast. <laughs> that could be that's five hefty questions. Yeah. Yeah. I think we thing. might Let's be like, it. I think by a question two, we'll be like, well, kind of like how we said oh, question one. So a lot well, of the, the first one will be like a long answer and the second one will just. Yeah. I mean, I think riff. from based on the listener questions, we were kind of getting to know our listener base a little better, right. which is really cool for us. And I think a lot of people that listen to our podcast are, have directed some things. Many of them don't live in LA mm-hmm. and they're considering kind of the, the full commitment. Like, should I move to LA? They're trying to figure out how shitty their life is going to be if they move here. I have some strong opinions about this. <laughs> well, oh, all, all our lives are okay. Yeah. I don't know. To me, li- our lives are pretty great. To actually. me, it's like <laughs> you can move. It, it well, makes why, it why don't you read the questions and then we'll get into it. I'm just going to answer them. <laughs> okay. So our first question comes from listener Corey Jarvis. He says, I'm a stand-up comic in New York City. To help build my resume over the past few years, I've started making sketches, and even bought some of my own equipment. Recently, I wrote my first short and shot it in Times Square. The whole process was an incredible learning experience and has made me want to become a more proficient director and editor. I've read books, watched YouTube tutorials, but I wonder if a class would provide a more well-rounded education. Do you think a class is worth it, or should I spend the money on another project and continue to learn from my mistakes? So it was kind of like one of the many premises of this show which is to film school or not to film school right <laughs> to film school or not to film school yeah i mean well eric what do you think i i it's funny i think that the question entirely hinges upon whether or not 
you have access to people that can give you good feedback? Basically, do you have do you have honest friends or honest mm-hmm. you know uh, colleagues or, or or you know collaborators? Because I think that I'm a big fan of learning by doing. Assume, assuming you can get out of the little kind of bubble of of your head, you know, and if if you, if you can actually show it to people who who either are smart or know what they're doing and can give you really good feedback, that's that's kind of all you need, I think, to keep growing as a filmmaker and to keep making good things. And I think that's a lot of what school. I didn't go to film school, so so I, I can't fully. Yeah, I think I think you're giving too much credence to the notes you get in film school, which tend to be pretty. Well, <laughs> pretty okay, bad. okay, that's fair, that's fair. But I think that just, I mean, everything that I know about film school from people I talk to. It's the meeting people right. and, and and working and seeing their work and, and like getting mm-hmm. the, the kind of interaction from from seeing that. what mistakes they've made yeah. all of that stuff yeah yeah and and kind of being pushed by their work do better work and that kind of thing you know and so I think that you can get that from you know a, com- a community of filmmakers say you know it doesn't necessarily have to be class right, right. it's funny I think of school. Films, you know, we're talking about film school, but school in general, as its main goal is to provide a motivation that you've, you're obligated to adhere to. You've paid someone, but if it's, you know, graduate school or your parents mm-hmm. force you to go mm-hmm. there, if it's like undergrad. And if, if you want to finish it, you have to do the work. And to me, like the difference between successful filmmakers and unsuccessful filmmakers is 100% motivation. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so if the school kind of forces you to right. turn in a script on Wednesday and, you know, put together a crew by next week or, hey, out of these 20 students, we're only going to produce three of your short films. So yours better be like one of the top three best ones. I think that's what some people get. So, you know, Corey's a comedian that's kind of found his interest in in this medium where you can like kind of share your comedy much easier than just to a room full of people. So, you know, it, it's hard to be super specific with his case, but I think if it's like, if you're having trouble motivating and finding people to work with, then going to class is good. But if that's not a problem, then that money could be better spent. Yeah. Yeah. Production. I mean, my, my instinct is just, just keep making stuff and spend, and spend the money on that, especially with comedy, mm-hmm. you know, cause I don't know how much comedy can be taught and I don't, I also don't know, like obviously filmmaking techniques can be taught, but I actually think some of the funniest stuff is when you don't necessarily know all the, all the, the techniques and you're mm-hmm. just kind of figuring it out. And it's, I don't mean, I don't know. I, I, I think that, I think that if there's a, there's something to be said for the rough and the rawness of, of really just like making those mistakes and, and yeah. you know. You see yeah. that, I mean, it's a really old example, but the pilot, the original pilot for Always Sunny in Philadelphia that helped them sell the show is like one of the least, the most poorly produced pieces of content video <laughs> ever made. And it's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I think just to kind of, I, I agree with you guys completely, but I think the other thing that's interesting to think about is like in the comedy community, I f- there's kind of already places where you can get feedback, right? Like mm-hmm. if Corey's going up, relatively frequently then you know he's getting feedback on whether or not he's funny already right just through laughs right Right. and like start putting up a couple of the videos you know maybe screen them in front of your friends make sure that they're like battle tested and ready to go and then start putting those up that is a free film school that also advances your career but 
Where would you put them up? Just like just just like that, that shows, right? Like like oh yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, if you're doing it, yeah. most comedy clubs will like be down to let you you know do a video, especially if it's like in between sets or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like totally. Right. Like, like here at UCB, like there's UCB, been so many super shows serious, everything. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's like an SNL sketch yeah, that's live. Yeah, yeah, I think it's great because 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 hearing people's response. Yeah. Is, is what you need. Empirically, you know whether it's funny yeah. or not. Yeah. Are people laughing? Or are people aren't laughing? Are people laughing in the right places? <laughs> right, right. You know, and, and, if it, and if they're not laughing, why? Yeah. I, so I wonder if maybe part of Corey's other, the subtext of his question is that he's maybe feeling a little nervous about his fundamentals, right? Mm-hmm. Like the 180 line and like apertures and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I would say that part some people are really just apt to picking that up. Like Orin, you're a great example of self-teaching, right? Like there are plenty of tutorials out there that'll help you with a lot of that stuff. And if you keep shooting it, you kind of get that under your feet and you, you figure it out. But that would be the one thing where maybe it would be worth taking a look at a film class. That being said, they're not as helpful as you want them right. to be. I mean, it goes back to my original point. Like, like I think that if there's someone in Corey's life who can look at the video and be like, dude, this is really funny, but it looks like shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that can be like figuring out why it looks like shit is the tricky part. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. It also depends how passionate you are about the technical side. Like, do you right. want to spend an entire day researching what microphone, you know, $100 yeah. microphone will give you the best sound and where to place it and how lights, yeah. you know, will make your scene look better camera movement. And sometimes like film professors aren't even going to know that. Sure. You know, like yeah. most of the time they won't. They'll yeah. just be like, yeah, I use the pro gear that we rent. I mean, it's interesting that Corey used the, the term class because it sort of, it, that to me like implies like six week editing course. Right. Or something, you know, like yeah, yeah. this is really yeah. film Intensive. school, you know, of which funnily enough, I used to teach in New York. That was one of my first jobs. Oh. I taught editing at a, at a great school in New York called the Edit Center, which Corey should look into. Absolutely. The Edit Center? The Edit Center. That said, you know, unless Corey wants a career in editing, which I think is a noble thing. Why wouldn't you? Want <laughs> it might not be the best use, use of resources, but check it out. I mean, they have like a one week intensive. They have like a six week intensive, you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, I'm still firmly on on the on the side of like figure it out yeah. yourself, and and maybe find some other people who like to research microphones. Like maybe right. it's like, like a right, sound guy and exactly yeah. yeah. I mean, filmmaking, as we all know, is a collaborative medium. You know, and if Corey finds his dude who loves microphones, and you know, like th- yeah. that could be a great team, perhaps. Yeah. Right. Let me just add one last thing or ask you, Eric, specifically, just to make this more specific to Corey's question. You started out in New York. Is there, do you feel like there are as many opportunities in New York for kind of new directors? (laughs) Easy answer. No, no. I think that the the film community in New York is dramatically smaller. I think that because of that, there's this, there's this real sense in New York. There's this real like martyrdom that exists Mm. in New York of like everyone in the working in, in the film industry is like killing themselves, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what, it, that's what you need to do. I mean, it's kind of a New York thing in general. Like yeah, New York yeah, is just right. a hard yeah, place to live. Yeah, I think it sounds like you're describing New York. Yeah, yeah, but it's very true in the film industry. It's like, it's like everyone I knew was like, was like working just more hours, more stress, harder, you know, and, and it's not to say that in, in LA it's easy, but because it's much more of a, a lifestyle out here, a much more, you know, like there's, there's, there's family, there's mm-hmm. a lot, you know, there's, there's people who do do it as a living and still have time for their kids. And that everyone sort of knows that. And so I just think that in general, I don't know, the lifestyle out here for in the film industry, it's much 
calmer and saner. Ch- chiller, you might chiller. say. Chiller. <laughs> it is definitely chiller. And, and there's just many more opportunities. Well, I wonder if maybe you can turn that small niche group into an asset, right? Like I feel like sometimes if, if it's a concentrated group of people, that's an easier group to infiltrate, you know? Mm-hmm. So like is... When you were in New York, were there places specific, like, you know, if you're into comedy, you go to UCB or like, are there places like that that you could recommend for Corey or? Yeah. I mean, I mean, UCB. <laughs> there you, go. you were, you were editing Stella when you lived there. I was editing Stella. Um, I just forget that. That's the fucking best. That's like, <laughs> and so wasn't that like a group of comedy buddies that put together a show and got it. It sold? was. Well, originally it was the state. So, you know, incredibly and bizarrely 11 NYU grads from not all in the same year, I think they're from two years from years got together, became a, a sketch comedy group and sold a show to MTV. MTV is based in New York too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, that, that happened once in the last <laughs> right. well I human mean, giant yeah human giant wise kids you know yeah, yeah, sure. which i also worked on yeah i always forget that fuck man <laughs> god damn so awesome but you know yeah so yes yes absolutely you know there's 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 groups but i mean hey look you know almost every member of, of the state lives in la now <laughs> right you know human giant is all out here wise kids are all out here you know, and so, yeah, you could argue so much chiller. Yeah, there's so much. And you could argue, yeah, OK, they got their start in New York and they came out here and I buy that. And so, yeah, Corey should, you know, try to carve a name for himself in New York. But then he should move out here yeah. <laughs> when all of his friends do. Right. right. Like, there's always that exactly. the, the yeah. brain drain. Right. And exactly. I do feel like I, I don't know the comedy scene in New York at all, but I do know that the comedy scene here is very like video aware. Like there's no mm-hmm. one that's on an improv team or a sketch in a sketch group that hasn't at least discussed making videos. It's the same in New York. Yeah. I mean, I think kind of frankly, thanks to Human Giant, right? Like those guys were pretty early on. Yeah. um, Well, Stella also. Yeah, Stella. I guess that's true. Literally, Eric, like some of the very first videos I've ever seen on the internet were Stella videos. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Fuck, man. Well, sorry. That's cool. Well, my mind. Yeah. Hopefully that's helpful, Corey. (laughs) Cool. So our next listener question comes from Luke Sheldon. He says... I'm at the beginning of my directing career. I found a full-time job editing for a production company in Chicago, and I see some opportunity in the future to, to direct for them. We produce basic corporate videos, although occasionally a more creative project will appear. Where I really want to head is movie or TV directing. If I was directing some projects for the current company as well as editing, it wouldn't leave me much time for personal creative projects. So my question is, which path do I take? Do I dive head first into commercial directing and swap my editing job for a commercial director's job in the future? And then try to jump into TV and movie directing? Or do I just keep editing full time and build up a portfolio of creative projects on the side so that I can get hired for TV and movies and then work my way up to directing? Yeah, so I think maybe the key thing to think about, because I feel like normally we know the answer to this question, but I think that he's in Chicago and that's an advertising town is kind of an interesting wrinkle in that story, right? Yeah, I guess I... Like there's more opportunity there than kind of, than you would... Than for basically advertising? for advertising, yeah. It's so I. There was sort of a long question, but in, in the question, was there a, a mention of moving to Los Angeles? There was not, but okay. I. We actually did respond to Luke and mentioned. I mean, we kind of like tell people in we general tell people that move it's to LA. Yeah, yeah, they don't have to, but it makes things easier, right? But I think kind of a question that you know we we have for ourselves. We've just talked about on our last episode is do you dive headfirst into commercials and right. hope that leads to mm-hmm. TV and movies right. or do you just 
you know, work as an editor, learning your craft and honing your craft while yeah, yeah. working independently on your TV and, and film. I mean, this question essentially is my life. <laughs> so, so I'll kind of just sort of reiterate a lot of some something what I said last episode, which is that I think that I've come to believe that you should be in the building of the company that does what you want to do. <laughs> so it's a poor metaphor, but basically, you know, if if you want to be doing film and TV, you should be as close to that as possible, mm-hmm. and. That's it sounds like that's the latter of what Luke is yeah. saying, you know, of of kind of like, you know, try to get involved maybe as an editor, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, as anything in 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 that world, make those connections because it's all about connections. We, we can all agree. Right. Yeah. Right. That like, you know, it's the producer that you meet. It's the studio executive that you become friends with. That kind of thing, you know, I mean, but it, it's connections plus material. Yes. Equals yes. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And so it's that material is is it better to have this awesome short film like The Gunfighter or is it better to have like 10 branded spots for Pepsi and Microsoft, you know, and Quiznos? Yeah, I mean, it kind of, it, it's it's a combination of what do you actually want to do, right? And like honing your skills, right? I think that maybe the, th- yeah, the thing that we need to keep in mind is that like, this is a company that has a lot of corporate videos and like some cool creative stuff, right? Right, and chances are that he will probably get the less cool stuff less starting cool out. Stuff. So I think like there's a pretty limited, uh, rather diminishing returns in terms of like how polished your craft becomes when you're doing corporate videos. Mm-hmm. Not to shit on them because I think actually the game corporate video game has like really skyrocketed with the advent of like DSLRs and like mm-hmm. being a one man band. I think that there are a lot. And also as they meld into like TV or internet yeah. commercials, like there's this company I've talked about it, Sandwich Video. Yeah, that does they basically do app commercials. Right, but they're mm-hmm. really freaking good, and they'll nice. do broadcast commercials in the same campaign. Yeah, 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 yeah. like those um, true car commercials. Yeah, those are, like those are sandwich videos. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's brief. It's worth briefly talking about the fact that I got my start as a commercial, as a, as a corporate oh, video editor before the state. Yes, I spent three years as a corporate video editor. How, how old are you? I know, right? <laughs> so I was, I was doing that early, and I was working for. I did corporate videos for IBM mm-hmm. and. Pfizer and like you know a bunch of bunch of you know big corporations and the budgets are good for those would you say? yeah I mean I was kind of like yeah 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 no I was I mean I was making more money than I made for like years afterwards yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know and I had for a long time had this idea that I would somehow work my way up mm-hmm. from what I was doing to the things that I wanted to be doing, right, right? You know, and it took me a long time to realize that that wasn't going to happen, you know. And it, it might have just been completely naive. And I just, and I just want to make sure that, like, it's clear that, like, it, there are different silos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't take a corporate video, even if it is literally the very best corporate video yeah. that like moves people to tears. You yeah. cannot take it to a TV studio and no. be like, "Look what I did." Yeah, it doesn't work. Exactly. Yeah. So I had, so I basically, it, it took me three years, but I realized, okay, I need to start again. And, you know, wound up through a bunch of zigs and zags working in commercials. And I was like, you know, like I was like editing, I was like editing commercials and I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is, this is, this is closer. This mm-hmm. is like a step in the right direction. It took me another year to realize I was just another silo. Right. You know, and that it didn't, it didn't connect. And I, the only way that I was going to eventually get to what I wanted to do, which is TV film was to, was to start there at the mm-hmm. bottom and, and, and work my way up, you know. Do you think that you accelerated 
through TV and film faster, though, because of all of the skills that you acquired in corporate videos I think and commercials? It, I think, honestly, it was the best, the best thing that helped me was just the kind of like combination of confidence and just like pissed offness that I felt like <laughs> I'd spent like four years doing something stuff that I didn't want to do, mm-hmm. you know, that I could then sort of like walk in and just be like, yeah, I can fucking do that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <You> know? <That's funny. laughs> um, so, yeah. So, so yeah, if you're, you know, if you're storing up some, some bitter energy, Luke, in your current job <laughs> that you can then use. Um, no, but I just, I'm a big fan of, I'm, I'm a strong believer in, you know, like if you want to be an agent like you know immediately go to the mail room mm-hmm. and and start there just you dive know, in as fast just dive as you in can. if yeah. you if you want to edit movies like immediately like be a pa mm-hmm. like get get lunch for the editor on a movie you know like and if you want to i mean it's more complicated for directing obviously but i think if you want to direct movies you need to just be around that yeah. world be in that world devil's advocate and I'm, i don't know where i really land on this but i wonder if maybe it makes sense because it sounds like luke wants to be a director though like and wants to do features is there any wisdom in staying in chicago making good money living in a great town and then like making a micro budget feature before he moves out yeah or an awesome short yeah like i'm gonna be a little presumptuous here mm-hmm. eric but you did a feature that played at a bunch of festivals mm-hmm. and then you did a short film that was played on Vimeo it was like the kind of highlight of that film. Mm-hmm. Which one of those two got you more work? The short film. Right. So I think like mm. the micro budget feature is like a year or two of struggles, whereas sure. a short film could be a couple months of really focusing on you know on exactly what you want to do and right. maybe even having the time to do it which you'll never have on that micro budget feature so i don't know I, but i will say that okay this is completely anecdotal but the thing that really lit things up like like next like sort of jump-started my my career it wasn't just that this film that i made this film and it got on vimeo and like a bunch of people watched it Two things happened. One, there was a an executive at New Line who I met because of my editing career who saw the film and loved it and personally passed it on to a bunch of agents and managers who then passed it on to other agents and managers. And so like he got like- You like, had a champion. So like a million yeah. people had already watched it online yeah. before anyone in Hollywood had seen it. Yeah. Right. You know? And That's this, funny because normally we call it talk about Hollywood viral. Normally it happens Hollywood viral first and maybe never a million people. Right, right. Yeah, that's funny. Right. So so it was because of my insider knowledge that that happened. And my commercial, you know, I mean, I eventually a bunch of other, bunch of commercial people sort of came knocking. But the production company that I signed with that did well for me is entirely because a filmmaker named Ruben Fleischer of Zombieland fame, you know, who I no through the industry is 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 a guy that i met and 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 he saw the short film and he was like you should be doing commercials and he called up the heads of this company and was like watch this short and they watched it and that's how i got you know so i i just you know completely anecdotal but but in my experience it's all about relationships and those relationships get formed by just being in the building right <laughs> you know yeah yeah no i think i would agree with that i mean i again it's like the 
it's being in the building plus having something to yes, show. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, I did my first huge, huge job. It was like a $25,000 CPR training video. It was like two hours. I had to do an English version, a Spanish version. I worked my ass off on it for like three months, you know, and we had all these dramatized scenes. But at the end of the day, there were people doing CPR, you know, and <laughs> having strokes and stuff. And the first thing that got me like the type of job that I wanted was like a YouTube video I made, you know, not... Mm-hmm that right. big budget big budget i mean for me that was a huge, massive budget right uh for a corporate video so yeah i mean i guess what we're telling you luke is if you really want to do more narrative storytelling yeah. do narrative storytelling mm-hmm. it's like what they yeah. p- tell writers all the time right if you want to be a writer right right yeah that's what i would say and so, move to la yeah it's so much fun <laughs> yeah come on out super affordable <laughs> <laughs> um well, I mean, you know, it's not like Chicago is, is Wichita, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'd be surprised. <laughs> cool. Okay, well, so our next question is from Scott Harper. He says, hey, guys, how are you? I was wondering how creators make money off of free content, like The Gunfighter or Miss 2059, which is a series that I directed, or Shitty Boyfriend, which is a series that Matt directed, for example. Yeah, well, so in... I, that's kind of two different situations, right? So Eric, you kind of, the gunfighter is like, was a portfolio piece, right? You did it Correct. on spec, right? So you, did you end up making any money off the gunfighter? No. Did you pay for it out of your own pocket? Yes. I, the gunfighter cost $25,000. How long is it? Nine minutes. So that's still kind of a bargain, right? Like, yeah, yes and no. I mean, $25,000 is a lot of money. It's a lot but, of money. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. lot of money. And you can make a short for, for nothing or yeah, you yeah. could you know exactly. or you can make but a really good in a real saloon yeah, yeah, real yeah. Actors so and this is a period piece with you know the you're sets still calling the, in favors i guess what oh I mean. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 so yeah yeah i mean yeah we could have spent a hundred thousand dollars on it easily you know but so the gunfighter was licensed by a number of foreign companies for like polish tv and like Chinese, you know, like, you know, and so I think in the end, I think something like about $10,000 came back in mm-hmm. all told, including a couple of festival prizes, you know, so I don't think I quote unquote made money off of it, but some money came you made some money. And of course, like that created more opportunities. That but the, yeah, the absolute number one reason I did it was to get work and I've easily gotten more than $25,000 worth of work right. or 15,000, you know, like I much more right. just, just from work that came directly from the gunfighter. So for me, it was a, it was an investment in my career. And so, yeah. So yeah. I would say for these Verizon go 90 shows, I mean, they put out a press release last year saying that they don't expect to make money back on any of the go 90 stuff for like three or four years. Yeah. Like that's part of the plan. And, you know, they're not unlike uh, TV in, in that, they're you're not paying out of pocket for to watch those shows but you know they're making money on advertising and uh, you know foreign licensing deals and things like that so we're we're of course paid and our crews are paid and you know the budgets aren't insane they're not like you know as big as say tv budgets but they're still you know like independent film budgets basically and it's still like a gamble like for every board to death you get a game of thrones right right like the I love board to death <laughs> right but i don't know if that's a huge money maker for hbo yeah, no. and so i think with just said vinyl 90, yeah, yeah there you go yeah. <laughs> or crackle let's yeah. say they have one show anyone's heard of right comedians, comedians in cars yeah, getting yeah, coffee yeah, yeah 
I, I think there, you know, in Hollywood, that is like studios, they make a hundred movies and five of them make money and 95 of them lose money. But those five make so much money that it covers the losses. So I think our shows are, you know, that they're in that ecosystem of, you know, new digital shows. It's a new medium still. And Verizon, who, you know, I think this digital channel, like putting a million dollars into a digital show is not a big deal for them. Um, But just to be clear, so the, it's unclear exactly if he was asking how, we the filmmakers get make money or how the company makes money but just to be completely clear for people listening you guys were paid yeah by yeah. the company to make this quote-unquote free video yeah our rates are the same whether they're it's a flop or a hit yeah right right yeah we're yeah. directors for hire yeah and i think like you know this new era of you know digital streaming shows whether it's go 90 or hulu or netflix you know there's a bit of a land rush everyone knows that those companies are going to be making tons of money eventually, or at least they're all betting on it. So, so their war chests are full right, right now. Like everyone's buying content, everyone's spending a ton of money on that. So, who knows if they'll make it back or not? Right. But you know, will they? Will they be Netflix or yeah. will they be? You know, Netflix. Like I don't know about Netflix being cash positive. They just like borrowed like a billion dollars last year mm. that they're investing all in you know, new content and their library content is shrinking. So clearly there's a, right. you know, there's an idea there that basically it'll just be become not unlike HBO. Right. 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 But yeah, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. And just to clarify to our listeners, especially if you're new, like Matt and I, and to some extent, Eric, when you're, wor- when he's working on like commercials and stuff, we basically get, you know, we have a day rate or a flat rate or a project rate and we, just the, there's a budget for, you know, a go 90 series or a commercial or whatever. And one line in that budget is how much they're going to pay the director. And we get that money, yeah. you know, and whether, whether it's all up front or split up over the course of the progress typically, of the project, typically it's spread out over the course of yeah. the project. Yeah. Usually you'll get, you know, something like a third up front, a third one production's done and a third one, the final edits are delivered. Yeah. They don't want to give you all of the money before post is over basically. <laughs> but there's a, there's, there is a vast, a vast array of free online videos that people make like the gunfighter who just want to get attention. Mm-hmm. Very but, premium yeah. videos too. Like I would yeah. say most of Vimeo. Exactly. Is like in that situation. Yeah. 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 So if you're a filmmaker and you're, I mean, you know, we, we mentioned on not this episode, last episode we mentioned every frame of painting mm-hmm. and I don't know how that guy makes money. I don't know if he does. He's Patreon. Yeah. The Patreon, he makes money now. But, but like Squaresville season one, I kickstarted $12,000. The show cost much more than that, especially if you paid for favors. And it's the same situation as you, Eric. It was like, oh, that's how my career started, basically, right. is by kind of taking that gamble early on. Yeah. Before we move on to the next question, I feel really bad, but I remembered something I wanted to tell Luke in our last question. Do you guys oh. mind if I say it? Yeah, sure. go for it. So there's like one of my tutorial gurus. There's two websites I go to do to, for tutorials, videocopilot.net. It's like the After Effects and Grayscale Gorillas for Cinema 4D. And Nick Campbell, who runs Grayscale Gorilla, one of his edicts for himself is that if he feels like he's the smartest guy at a company or the most talented or kind of at the top of his game, he'll move to a new company or to a new group Mm. of people because the second you're only teaching and you're not learning, you're kind of like missing out on advancing (laughs) your career. So I like that again to Luke, if you're like, it's like what Eric said, like, you know, you get to a point where you just feel so confident about your work and that's like not 
the best place to be because it, it's better if you go into a new company and you realize, oh, wait, I'm at the bottom and I can learn all these things to, to go up to the next level. Because mm-hmm. after I did that CPR training video, I remember I did like this comedy video for someone that hired me and I was like, just trust me. It's going to look amazing. It's going to be edited like so well. <laughs> it's going to sound like a Trump speech. Like people are going to be cracking up. It's Now it's just all about the writing and the acting. If you guys can can bring me the resources, like do not worry about like the technical part. It's going to be amazing. And guess what? It wasn't, it wasn't that great. But at the time, <laughs> like when I was, I, I made like this. the best CPR training video in the, in the industry, I felt like I was at the top of my game. Is know? there a link to the CPR training video? That we can see. Yeah, I please. probably have some videos. I mean, there's, I would sta- love there's standard def. Can you yeah. watch that stuff? Yeah. Mm, yeah, forget it. We shot on like a DVX 100 or something. Nice. Stand behind the victim and locate the navel. Place your closed fist above the navel and grasp it with the other hand. Now perform forceful inward and upward abdominal thrust. But my wife's pregnant. Won't that hurt the baby? Good point. When dealing with either a pregnant or obese person, place your fist over the center of the breastbone and thrust only anyway so so yeah so to me it's like again back to the question of motivation or like what makes a filmmaker successful it's like always kind of trying to move to the next step up and like eric said if you're not in the building where people are above you or you know can teach you something then you're probably moving slower than you can okay so this next question comes from someone that matt labeled as justin Mm -hmm. i don't know his last name but, what, should, what should we say? Or I guess I'm Justin Marcher. Oh, Justin Marcher. Yeah. Marcher, um, I guess. Justin yeah. M says, been enjoying Just Shoot It. Good stuff. The latest episode got me wondering about animation and commercial work. I see commercials for everything from Pop-Tarts to medications that I could duplicate in animation. Do you have any opinion on whether it would be a good idea for me to reach out to LA production companies directly offering animation services? Or do you know of any resources that might help? Thanks. So this guy is an animator, filmmaker, animator, and thinks he can be of help to commercial production companies. Do you think like the soliciting them directly is helpful? Yeah, I think that that sort of world is a little tricky because in my experience, there are animation houses, right? Like Titmouse is kind of like the easiest example where you know, they're an entity that has like a staff that can kind of balloon up to whatever they need production wise. And all of their animators are like CalArts guys, most likely that, you know, they kind of can emulate whatever style they need. Right. So like it's a bunch of producers, like sort of like motion graphics will do this as well. There'll be a bunch of producers. They will be like, Hey, here are all the looks that we've got, you know, comedy central will say, Hey, we want to do an animated show. And then they'll be like, okay, well here are all of the different looks that we can do. And here are a couple of custom pitches. These are the price tags based on how involved the animation process will be. Once one of those companies says yes, then they're kind of just farming it out, right? So like you have to be the sort of person who's either super versatile or, you know, you're doing character rigging or you kind of, you're either super specialized or you have to be able to do everything. I feel like in your experience, is that accurate to you guys? Sort of like VFX too. Right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that it would be a hard pitch to go to like get a pop talk commercial, you know, because yeah, like yeah. those those commercials are like, you know, first of all, they're it's risk for them. They're not going to like take a gamble on some, someone they don't know. You know, they're right. going to go to like the top five company. You know, but I think where there's a great opportunity is like one level below. You know, where it's like you know mm. a, a more medium budget thing that maybe couldn't even afford. Some sort of commercial, yeah, you know, or 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 like you know, yeah, it's like they want to 
do a sequence that's out of their price range, but this guy can come in and sort of say like, well, I can do it for half what yeah. anyone else would charge. You know I mean? That's sort of like, if you, if you have the skills and you're willing to underbid, right. You know, it's not like you, you you're not going to go to Johnson and Johnson and get their work, but you could go to, I don't know, Tom's shoes. I don't know why I said that, but yeah. like, you know, I was recently involved in an animated, like a fully CG animated commercial. And, you know, it's like a smallish budget, like 50 grand. They wanted a 30 second broadcast ready spot that had like a bottle of their product kind of dancing mm-hmm. on a white background, you know, so you'd have to model the bottle and then animate mm-hmm. it and add some music and sound effects. And there was like some voiceover, which is, you know, doable for 50 grand if you have one guy animating. Right, right. Kind of in rendering and doing all that right. stuff. So the way we ended up finding the people is I, I think I went, there, there's some websites, there's creativecow.com. There's places where you can list your portfolios. And I just ended up finding a bunch of animators reels and looking at them and we contacted some of them and right. we ended up hiring, you know, one really small animation company that ended up saying, you know what, this budget is so small. We're just going to connect you with our animator. Like this one guy. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. There's Rather no like, like room for overhead for us to manage it for you. Right. So you can do that. I mean, in general, I don't know about you guys, but I get emails from composers like once a week saying like, hey, man, love your movies. Like if you ever need music, like clearly someone that has no idea who I am yeah. just found me on IMDb yep. or something. Same. And 99% of the time I just ignore it. Mm-hmm. But if I was on a day and I needed music that day, I would probably listen to it. I think I talked about this on the podcast before, but there's this book for actors by Sharon Bialy, this casting director. And she talks about whether... a an actor should send out postcards to casting directors. And she says, look, when I get a postcard from an actor, I do the same thing. I glance at it and I stick it in the trash can every single time. But if we're looking for, you know, Hispanic blondes, you know, that are 22 years old and you look like you might fit that, then, and you happen and I happen to get your postcard that day, I'll give it to my casting associate and tell them to check you out and maybe call you mm-hmm. in. So, soliciting definitely works but it's like again it's a numbers game like yeah. if you contact 200 production companies you might hear back from two right, right. because it just works out with the timing so. i did find my composer for squaresville through a cold contact nice. oh really yeah hey philippe pierre he's great but but so to that end i, I can never remember anyone's names what's his it's justin justin justin, yeah. justin needs a great little reel mm-hmm. right like he needs to like take what all of his best work set it to some cool song like a minute to two minutes you know and that needs to be part of the pitch so that so that whoever is looking and and needs something at that moment that isn't that real can be like oh perfect this guy yeah right right yeah that's a given and you know there's a lot of great examples of reels on motionographer and mandy.com and you know a million different places yeah so cool okay well we have our last question is from timothy plain who's actually the host of another podcast called Making Movie is Hard with three exclamation marks. And actually I was listening to a bunch of episodes today and it's it's really good. It's kind of yeah. like our podcast, but it's, you know, centered in the Bay Area. Is it just him or does it have a co-host? Think they're not serious about filmmaking. Oh, <laughs> oh burn. Throwing just shade. Kidding, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no, it's really good. It's him and a co-host. His co-host is named Alric. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Couldn't figure uh, out. Alric? Alric, like, maybe. It's like, is that an Israeli was- name? Alric, maybe not, because it's kind of like Arik is an Israeli name. Oh. Anyway, so they have a podcast. It's about basically, you know, making movies. They're both kickstarting their first feature. Timothy has a lot of experience in the advertising world. He worked for Good Bee 
Silverstein could, sure, yeah. could be, right? I can't remember. I wonder if he knows my friend John. Uh, <laughs> Timothy, tweet us. Let it us could know. be Silverstein you know partners. Right? He's yeah. been there for a long time, actually. Yeah. And Alaric has made some shorts and, you know, they've both played at a lot of festivals, gotten a lot of views online. And they actually just did this. I'm going to talk about him in the, my unpaid endorsement, but they did a, okay. a really cool episode that I just listened to today. Oh, wow. Um, anyway, Timothy says, as a filmmaker with a full-time salary job, so he, he works for this advertising agency. He's not a filmmaker at work, but he has a really good job. Got it. As a filmmaker that has a full-time salary job, I often find myself wondering if I've created a gilded cage for myself. Should I leave for the freelance pastors of Los Angeles or stick it out here and wait for that one piece of work that catches fire? I'm sure you both have thoughts on that. Yeah, I think uh, there's a couple things. A, we always talk about San Francisco is not a cheap town, right? So in terms of transferring from San Francisco to Los Angeles, if you can get a great ad agency job there and you can get one here as well, I feel like your money goes a little bit further, right? Yeah. We've talked about that. But I think like the thing that bumps for me most specifically is like, the idea of an ad catching fire or a video of some sort catching fire and that being the linchpin in launching your career. And obviously, like Eric, that's literally what happened with you, right? But I think it was a situation where you were in the building, right? Like you were there yeah. to be able to seize on all of those opportunities that that great short film that But But there's make. a huge difference between Eric making the short that he wanted to make that showcased his skills and you making the best version of someone else's creative work. Yeah, but I think he's talking about, like, he does his own creative work as well, just in San Francisco. Yeah. Correct he, or no? Yeah. I mean, right now his job is producing big ad campaigns, like big right. budget ads. So I think he's just, saying, it, should I use my connections of being a producer in the ad mm-hmm. world to hopefully get to direct an ad and get that to kind of... Well, it's unclear if he's... Does he want to direct ads or does he want to direct movies? Yeah, he wants he wants to direct movies and he's he has directed some ads. Yeah, I get. I kind of wrote an excerpt of what, what he said. I guess to add some more details, he says, I'm an agency producer, mostly TV commercials and also direct low-budget commercials. I've been here for 13 years and in that time I've worked on everything from zero-budgeted web films to million-dollar TV campaigns, including the award-winning spot for Adobe Photoshop's 25th anniversary which is amazing, by the way, if any of you guys have seen it. It won three prizes at Cannes, a D and a D pencil, and was nominated for an Emmy. But as comfortable as I am here, I've never been completely satisfied because what I really want to do is direct feature films. So outside of work, I write and direct short films and soon my first feature in the hopes that something will catch fire and I can transition from advertising into narrative work. I'm following in the footsteps of Dan Trechtenberg, Mm. who I'm familiar with Portal and 10 Cloverfield Lane, but I don't know how he got there. Do you guys know anything about his career? Not really, no. Yeah, I mean, I think that I just go back to my my gotta be in the building, you know, kind of thing. I mean, Dan Trachtenberg, you know, he fell in with the bad robot people. You know, I know he was developing a couple projects with them. I think the first couple didn't didn't pan out, but then Ten Cloverfield Lane did, and you know, he just he 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 was in he was in the right building. I think if you're in San Francisco doing ads, you're just not meeting the not just in, not just like not meeting like the producers or executives who are going to greenlight your movie, but you're not meeting like the writers who are going to mm-hmm. you know like collaborate with you and make a great script. You're not meeting you know the actors who are going to sign on to you. You know you're not you're just not making those connections that are going to come together to make a great movie. Right. I think there's also something to be said for being around 
other filmmakers just because there are things that wouldn't have occurred to you, right? It's not yeah. all about like connections doesn't just mean like how can other people help me, right? But like right. right here having this conversation, you can't do it in San Francisco because there aren't enough people, right? I mean, I guess they are, but like it's a different sort of situation. Like yeah. like you, like learning from people like you, like running into people like you at barbecues and things like that that does kind of expand your worldview and the your understanding of how even the business works in the first place. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, and I would add that even though this Adobe Photoshop ad is really, really, really awesome, it's like a fully CG ad. And so if you want to direct actors and work with cameras, having produced this, I don't know if that gets you very far. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, there is a kind of like the the, the sexy commercial director who you know gets a shot at directing a feature but more often than not those don't work out that well yeah well or maybe i think maybe the industry has changed too much right like you could mm-hmm. name like fincher spike jones mark romantic right right, right. there's like, like this big group in yeah, the 90s yeah definitely but like i don't know that there's the opportunity to to be a big time commercial director like that anymore like like, like what right. we were talking about last episode right 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 and by the way, I don't want to undersell Timothy. Like he's directed like hundred thousand. He did a campaign that was a hundred thousand dollars. He's directed a thirty thousand dollars spot that he showed us. So it's not like he's like yeah, his coming his from nowhere. Good. He's yeah. he's done some yeah. awesome stuff, which is maybe all the more reason to to say like, hey, your reel is pretty dope. Like you can get a job down here. Like make that happen, and then then live comfortably down here and like meet more people and yeah. make your short films down here. Yeah. 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 Specific San Francisco in particular, just because it's so expensive. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, cool. Well, thanks to our listeners for sending in questions and thanks Eric for helping us answer them. Of course. Yeah. Thanks guys. It's all uh, super inspiring to hear your stories and um, I believe you guys can all make it happen. Oh yeah. Do you feel like we always just give them the same answer? Which is just like move to LA and make stuff. You know, I, I don't know if I ever told you guys, I wrote into script notes once and, uh, it was a real fucking rush when I heard they answered my question on the air. Wow. And like, I was high off that for three days. <laughs> so, so regardless. Same thing with this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We are equally as. Yeah. Uh, as, uh, uh, what was your question? What was your question? So I asked about, I kind of like been getting a decent amount of work and could sense that at I hadn't turned anything down yet, but I had a sense that like eh, at a certain point I'm going to need to be able to, how do I do so politely so that I don't burn bridges and I can continue to work with these mm. people again? Oh, I think I that remember that question because I mean, I've heard every episode of yeah. Notes. Yeah, they so. were really good. And Craig told me to, what did he, he had a phrase like, oh, this is a, this is just a job I can't hit out of the park is what he said. Like it was like, oh, that's a diplomatic way of saying like, I'm not the right guy for this one, but keeping me in mind for others. Yeah. Which, by the way, I've like tried that so many times. I'm always be like, you know, I could give it a try, but I just think there's better people for this job. And they're like, okay, yeah, but you're the cheapest, so give it a try. <laughs> God damn it. Cool. Okay, well, so uh, now we're on to our favorite segment, the only thing that we can remember to do on a weekly basis, which is unpaid endorsements. You have one? I'll go first. Yeah, it's an easy one because we just talked about Timothy Plain's question. And Alaric, who is his podcasting partner, they have a podcast called Making Movies is Hard with three exclamation marks. It's on iTunes and Stitcher and everywhere podcasts are found. I actually Googled our podcast, 
just shoot it podcast. And there were a lot of articles about like what coaches said to their basketball players. <laughs> uh, but there were a couple lists of like filmmaking related podcasts and they were on the podcast on those lists with us. Anyway, I was listening to an episode today that was really informative. Alric had, I apologize if I'm kind of messing this up, but he had found this service where I think you pay a little bit of money and you get to pitch a dozen or so Hollywood executives and agents your feature idea. And they will give you feedback. That feedback will either be like, it's not really for us or we'd like to read the script. And so he did the entire pitch on the podcast and then Timothy gave him feedback on what he thought worked and didn't work. And then he pitched it to those people and he on the podcast, he talked about who he got good responses from, who he got bad responses from and kind of his next steps and how they rated him. And I thought, I thought it was really informative because everyone kind of rated him on the quality of his pitch. And when you find out what they're looking for in the quality of a pitch, like how well did he create an original world? How well did he create compelling characters? How good was the ending? You know, these things, they basically gave him like a bullet list of things to make sure to hit in a pitch. I think it was the 83rd episode of yeah. Making Movies is Hard. So check out that episode and check out that podcast in general because... It's cool. I really enjoyed it. Nice. Matt, Eric? Do you have one? I'm, I'm I, I, I got one. Are you, are you guys familiar with the term log rolling? Log no. rolling? Log rolling. It means, it, I, I'm pretty sure it means promoting yourself. Mm. But I think it. I think you can also log roll for your spouse. And so that's what I'm going to do. Because my wife is also an editor. And she edited a movie called Band-Aid that is premiering at the Sundance. With Film Adam Pally, maybe? With Adam Pally. Yeah, yeah, I was just talking about this movie today. This guy's good. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, Zoe Lister-Jones wrote, directs, and stars. Adam Pally co-stars, Fred Armisen co-stars. Bunch Remind of really- me who, where I know Zoe Lister-Jones from. Zoe, she kind of, she and her husband, Daryl Ween, I believe his name is. And Yeah, kind of came on the scene a few years ago, did a movie that played at Sundance called Breaking Upwards, and then did another movie for Fox Searchlight called Lola Versus. Mm. And this is her solo directorial debut. My wife edited this movie. It's impeccably edited. It's very funny. It's basically about a couple played by Zoe Luther Jones and Adam Pally who are having relationship issues and they decide to address their relationship issues by forming a band and writing fight songs like I Hate You, You Suck, but in song form. And it's a lot. And they're both singers in the band? They're both singers in the band, yeah. And what's cool, what, part of what's cool about the movie is that Every, they really can play and so all the songs were recorded live and Fred Armisen is a drummer and he can play he's great he's an amazing drummer a lot of people know that so it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun it's kind of like romantic comedy but there's good music and it's playing the Sundance so if you're if you're going to Sundance make sure to see Band-Aid and if you're not then you can probably watch it on Netflix in a few months yeah have you <laughs> been to Sundance before I've been to Sundance four times three times with movies that I've edited oh wow and I think we talked. You were there the year for the ten, right? I did the ten yeah. Cedar Rapids and a little movie called Birds of America that no one saw. But yeah, if you ever go there without any project there, yes. it's incredibly difficult to get tickets to movies. Yeah, I, yeah. I was there the year of the ten and didn't see a single thing. Yeah, so <laughs> yes, so no people. If, if <laughs> is the key, if the key, the key to Sundance is to go on the weekdays because if you go on the weekends. It's just too crazy. It's too crazy. But if you go like on a Wednesday, it's not that bad. 
Wow. Cool. Okay. Oh, sorry, I just I, I just realized I didn't say my wife's name. Oh, yes. Which is, my wife's name is Libby Kinnan, and she edited Bandit, and she's awesome. Well, my unpaid endorsement is a show called Fleabag. Have you guys seen the show? Yep. Boy. Amazon Prime. Did you like it or no? Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I think I'm on episode five, so I haven't finished it yet. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I boy, I really loved it. I think um, I loved it. It's like the it's like a, a kind of a cool heightened world, but I think the jokes are so sharp. I think it's really well shot. I think all the performances are great. Yeah, I, th- I just thought it was awesome, and I think it really kind of unfolds in a fun, sort of mysterious way, and kind of it's just got a really clear, clean point of view. That's and a cool incredible. style. Like yeah. House of Cards, if it was mm-hmm. about a British sex addict, yeah, and it, dark past. It, I think it's, so. It's uh, based off of her Fringe show, so she had a one woman show. So I think that's kind of where some of that first person stuff comes from. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. No, you're right. But yeah, I just thought it was really yeah. great. It's on Amazon Prime, so you guys probably have access to it, and it's great. Yeah. Did, By the way, you, if you don't have Amazon Prime, get Amazon Prime. That's for a, the free. That, that's, a, that's a collective unpaid endorsement. By the way, did you hear her her next project? No. It was just announced. And I don't know if it's, it's hard to tell if it's one of those things where it's like someone, it was like a, a pitch and someone was like, it's great. And she's hot. And so they were like, you know, yeah, she's, 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 she's just heat. Not that she's hot. She's hot. But in any case, uh, the point being that they released this press release. And so it was like her next is going to be this BBC spy thriller. Oh, cool. Where yeah. she plays like an MI6 agent. Like a cheeky, mean, yes. like snarky. Yeah, Ex- that's exactly. Awesome. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. But there's like, it's like there's a, like an evil female spy that she's like going like, it's like cat and mouse kind of thing. So that sounds pretty that's cool. That's like a that great mean? example of a pitch that would not work if she didn't have already made, hadn't already made yeah. Fleabag. Right. Because otherwise right. it sounds like this kind of generic exactly. pitch that every yeah. comedian and yeah, yeah. in the world would pitch. But yeah. once you're but you, preloaded you with her personality. That she could pull it off because she she did play back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, cool. thanks again, Eric, for joining us. In Two in a row. Yeah. Boop-boop. We can find you at erickissack.com. Correct. Or uh, find out about your editing on imdb.com. Correct. How do you spell that? JK. Cool. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at SmiteyPyleg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. You can find out more about the show on our Twitter at Just Shoot It Pod or on our website, JustShootItPodcast.com, where you'll find out all about all of the stuff we talked about. Maybe we'll even include some of the excerpts from the people who wrote in. Thanks again for writing in, guys. It's really awesome. You guys can do it. Thank you so much. And while you're at it, maybe rate us on iTunes. It really helps the show grow. Yeah. yeah also, so- also I, I also have a Twitter account. Which oh, Eric Kissack, <sighs> which which Matt knows because he followed me today. Hey, hey, hey. at Eric Kissack, at Eric Kissack, Eric with a C, Kissack with two and a K I S S A C K. Cool, awesome guys. Music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar, and this was edited as always by Eric Kripo. Thanks, Eric. Woo-hoo. And if you have any trailer you need edited, please check out Flashpoint.io. It's Eric's company. They do awesome stuff. And he'll give you a great deal. He'll give you 10% off if Tell you mention the podcast. Him. <laughs> right? Who yeah. knows? Sure. Let's try that. Thanks, <laughs> guys. Okay, bye. And Alaric has made some shorts, and you know they've both played at a lot of festivals, gotten a lot of views online. And they actually... <laughs> sorry, my dog is chewing on it's a like, squeaky toy. I'm having so much fun. So bored with our podcast.